Amen. What a, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for coming out for worship this morning. What it is, a, a, such a blessing to be able to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I look forward to that day when, we, when we're all there before him, worshiping him. Uh, what a wonderful thing. You know, I've so enjoyed this series that we've been in on uh, beholding his glory and uh, preparing us uh, toward uh, Easter. And uh, this morning we're going to wrap up that, that uh, uh, series on beholding his glory. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, having served as, as a full-time pastor for 23 years, um, I've seen some people who serve the Lord uh, for reasons that are sometimes very noble, but I want to say inadequate at the same time for the long haul. You know, some folks we call laymen, um, although I don't like that term, while others are full-time pastors or staff members or uh, missionaries. Um, but they all serve the Lord. I want to say um, many serve the Lord um, for inadequate reasons. And I, I'm going to tell you these in just a moment. You know, sometimes people serve the Lord um, because they want to help advance Christ's kingdom. They have a passion for helping advance the kingdom. And, and that's noble, but I would say it's also an inadequate reason uh, for serving Christ. Some pastors love the Lord and they, 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 uh, they serve him because they love studying theology and uh, teaching the Bible. And while that is a vital task in and of itself, it's an inadequate reason uh, for serving the Lord. Some pastors and others in the church serve because they genuinely want to help people with their problems. Noble, inadequate reason. Sometimes people serve because they get a sense of satisfaction from serving. You know, it's legitimate to be pleased when God uses you and you are used by God, but also it's an inadequate reason. Now, on the carnal level, on the fleshly level, some people serve the Lord because it makes them feel important. You know, they, they, uh, they want to help people, and they, uh, when they help people, these people sing their praises. But these folks often get wounded and they quit serving when they don't receive the applause that they think they might deserve. Some pastors serve because they like being the center of attention. Some enjoy the power of feeling the importance that comes with being in leadership of some type. And the absolute worst pastors are in the ministry just for the money or to, to prey on people and the Bible strongly condemns such evildoers. So I raised the question this morning, in whose life, in whose life are you having a spiritual impact? Think about that for a moment. Whose life are you having a spiritual impact upon? Because I believe that every member of Christ's body should be serving him and helping make disciples. That's all of our job. But beneath the question is, are you serving Christ, is a more foundational question, why? Why do you serve him? What is your motivation for serving? Why is it that you want to serve the Lord? We got to know the why. I mean, if you would, if you would please open your scripture 
uh, or maybe as the case may be, swipe, okay, um, to John chapter 21. But um, we're going to be reading out of the last half of, of John 21. And uh, Jesus asked Peter some uh, very pointed questions here. I want to read verse 15, chapter 21 of John, 15, 16, and 17. God's word says this. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it informs us and teaches us. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Father, how you cut right to the chase with us. And Father, that that your word is truth. Your word is life. So Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our, our hearts, our minds. Help us to see what it is you desire for us today. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you. And Father, I know that we have not done your will. I know that we have not done everything that we could. Father, I know that we have not loved you supremely. So I pray, Father, that that would be the case today. Father, that you would move us from where we are to where you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in this text of Scripture, Jesus really drills home Uh, to Peter and to us the foundational motive for serving him. And it is this, it is loving Jesus because he has graciously forgiven all of our sins and that is the foundational motive for serving him. We love him because of he first loved us. And it's, it's amazing because behind that statement are these two great commandments, to, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. In loving Jesus, because he has graciously forgiven all of our sins, is the foundational motive for serving him. See, we love God because of his love and grace towards us, and we serve him by loving others. And so loving Jesus, the eternal son of God, who gave himself on the cross to rescue us from God's judgment is the essential motive that we have for serving him. We serve him because we love him. See, this is is very important. 
Listen, if that, if that motive is not front and center in your heart, loving Jesus, then you will burn out or you will have a blowout in your service for the Lord. If that's not front and center, if that's not the primary thing in your life is loving Jesus. See, this short exchange between the risen Lord and Peter, it represents Peter's public restoration in his apostolic ministry, in his apostleship, if you will. Now think about this. On the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the angel was at the tomb. With the, and he told the women there in Mark 16, he said, go, go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. <laughs> Those words, go tell his disciples and Peter. The last time Peter saw Jesus alive, he denied him three times very strongly. Those words, and Peter, they would have had to to ring in his ear. I I would imagine that that he probably asked the women, did the angel say, and Peter? Are you just, just saying that? Well, did it come from him? Did it come from the angel? Did he say, and Peter? And it assured him that the Lord had not rejected him for his failure. I mean, that same resurrection day, according to other scriptures in Luke 24 and 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 5, Jesus met with Peter privately to reassure him and to restore him personally. So this is his public restoration, if you will. Peter had denied the Lord three times, and so three times Jesus repeats this essential question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? See, there's an air of, of seriousness about John's use of, the, of the, the full name Simon Peter. And then of his reporting, Jesus also uses the expanded form of Simon, son of John. Huh. It's kind of calling him by his, his, you know, his, his surname and all of the other things. It's like he, he wants to be very specific. And I think this is huge because it means that Jesus knows Peter. He knows him well. And these three questions hit Peter like a hammer driving home the point three times and the third time with grief because it reminded Peter of his three denials. It probably didn't hit him until that third time he asked him, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Oh man, I bet, I bet uh, Peter just fell apart at that. It was at that point, that third time, his realization, oh, I denied him three times. That's why he's asking me three times. And the three times the Lord responded to Peter's affirmation of love, he, he said, tend my lambs. He said, shepherd my sheep. He said, tend my sheep. And the point is this, is that loving Jesus because he has forgiven us all of our sins is essential for serving him. Peter had a huge failure. His Lord, the one who died for him, 
He denied ever even knowing him. And here Jesus is restoring him. And the one thing that I am sure that we all have in common is that we have all been hurt by someone. It may have been a long time ago. It may have been yesterday. But we've all been hurt by someone. It may have been something big. It may have been something little. But we all carry scars that come out of those relationships. That's what makes this encounter in John 21 so interesting. Because when Jesus was denied by Peter three times, it must have left some scars. This was somebody that walked with him. This was somebody in that inner circle. This was somebody that he trusted. This was somebody that he loved. This was somebody that he broke bread with. This is somebody he spent a lot of time with. And he denied him. You know, Peter had made some big boasts. He was the one who said, though everyone else may turn away from you, I never will. But when it came to the moment of truth, oh man, Peter not only denied the Lord, he did it strongly. I've never even seen the guy. I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't know this man. Must have hurt. I'm going to pull over the truck and park here for just a moment. Because I meet plenty of people who are tied in knots with resentment and bitterness. Something happened in the past and they've not forgotten. In fact, the pain of the event is only surpassed by the pain of the memory. And every one of us has people who have hurt us. They spoke an unkind word. They cheated us in a business deal. They were inattentive or abusive as parents. They were unappreciative as children. They disappointed us when we were in a crisis. They broke their vow. Every one of us has someone like Peter in our lives. Every one of us. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? See, I suspect that some of you are already building walls of resistance because you can see where I'm going. But please don't shut me out and the truth of the scriptures. See, the Lord does not deny the reality of our pain. But he wants us to handle it properly. He was tremendously hurt by Peter. Peter saw him on the mountain of transfiguration. He let Peter in. Peter knew him very closely. And yet he denied him. See, Jesus has told us that a person who is unwilling to forgive shows that they do not appreciate what they have been forgiven of. You know, in the apostle... Paul in 1 Corinthians, he he said, you might be (laughs) the world's most eloquent speaker, but if you don't love Jesus, you're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You may have impressive spiritual gifts. You know, you you may have all kinds of great theological knowledge and faith, and you could even remove mountains, but if you don't love Jesus, it's all worth nothing. 
You may even give away all that you have, all of your possessions, even suffer martyrdom, being killed, and you do it without love for Jesus, it profits you nothing. See, love for Jesus is the essential motive of all that you do for him. Loving Jesus is the, is the heart of the relationship with him. And, and, and right now, we, in this passage, we are looking at a post-resurrection scene. Christ, who has been raised from the dead, is now risen and he's glorified. His, his body is glorified and he is once again with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. He's standing there on the shoreline. It's a breakfast meeting. And he invites the disciples to join him. And the question is clear and plain. Do you love me? But today, we tend to lose sight of the true subject of this question. Jesus is not asking, do you love the church? Jesus is not asking, do you love the Bible? Jesus is not asking, do you love the Baptist denomination? He's not asking, do you love teaching? Do you, do you love preaching? Do you love helping? He's not asking those questions. Look at the question. Do you love me? Have we confused our love for the things that pertain to Jesus with having an actual love for him? They're not the same. Loving the church, loving the Bible, loving the Baptist organization are not the same as loving Jesus. But his question is crystal clear. Do you love me? Do you love me? But there's more to the question than meets the eye. The first two times, Jesus asked Simon Peter if he loved him. (laughs) And Jesus uses the word agapa, agapa. It's the word that we get the word agape from. Agape is a noun. Agapau. Agapau is a verb. It's a verb. Do you love me? This is divine love. It's the love of God. It's the deepest kind of love known to humanity. It's a sacrificial, unconditional type of love. So he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you agapow me with God's kind of love? And when Simon responded in verse 15 and 16, he used a different word than the one Jesus used. He said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I love you. His word was phileo, and Simon used the word which means to be fond of. Do you love me with an unconditional love? Well, I'm, I'm fond of you, Lord. It's kind of a friendship kind of thing, the, the feeling of friends, a, a, a friendship kind of love. And so when Jesus asked Simon if he, agapow, if he, if he loved him, Simon said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. doesn't sound real deep to me sounds kind of superficial when you compare it to the cross right. 
The third time Jesus asked the question in verse 17, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Not agapau, not the, the divine kind of love, but do you have a friendship kind of love for me? This time he used Simon Peter's word and it was his way of asking Simon Peter if he even had affection for him. Like, do you you even have affection for me? See, Peter understood that Jesus knew him better than he even knew himself. And Jesus says, is this kind of love that you have? And Peter says, well, I'll go to here. And Jesus says, is it this kind of love that you have? And he says, I'll I'll go to here. And Jesus says, then I'll go to here if this is the kind of love you have. See, I think this is huge because when I I, I see this, it's like we, we say we love Jesus, but we don't have his kind of love. You know, Jesus didn't ask Peter. He didn't say, well... Are you sorry that you did that? Or promise me that you'll never do that again. That's not what he says. Jesus Christ asked each one of us, just like he asked Peter, he challenged Peter to love. Do you love me? He asked us primarily not for obedience, not for repentance, not for vows, not for conduct, but for a heart. Jesus Christ wants us to love him. See, this is indeed a probing question and one we must face. Do we truly agapow? Do we truly love Jesus or do we merely phileo him, like him, like a friend? I'm almost finished here. If you go back up in verse 15, the question that he asks is really, how much do you love me? How much do you love me? He asked Simon if he loved him more than these. More than these. What does that word these refer to? Do you love me more than these? What is, it, what is he referring to? I mean, we could speculate, and there's a couple of possibilities. He could have been asking Simon if he loved him more than the other disciples loved him. He could have been asking Simon if he loved him more than than he loved the other disciples. He could have been asking and looking at the Sea of Galilee and the boats and the, the, the fishing gear and the nets and things and said, do you love me more than these? Because that's what they were doing. They were fishing. Peter went back to fishing after Jesus died. So maybe he was asking that. More than the disciples? No, his love for Jesus over the other disciples wasn't an issue. More than the boats, the the nets, the fish? No, that probably wasn't the issue either. He'd already left those one time for Jesus. More than these other disciples love me? This seems to be the issue. I mean, Peter had boasted of his love for Christ. He'd even contrasted it with the other men. He said, I will lay down my life for your sake in John 13. 
In Matthew 26, he said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never stumble. I will never be made to stumble. See, there's more than a hint of, in these boastful statements that Peter believed that he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord more than the other disciples did. He believed that. As if to say, you know, he could think something like this. Well, I could see James and John maybe falling away. Thomas for sure. But not me. I'm, I'm spiritually stronger and more devoted to you than they are. I can, I can see their commitment won't hold up, but mine will. I mean, Jesus called him out on it. But listen, we need to beware Beware of spiritual self-confidence. Beware of self-righteousness. Believing that you're more spiritually stronger or more devoted or because you've been on a mission trip or because you go and visit and evangelize or because you've always attended church or because you drive a more humble car. Beware. Don't allow that pride to creep in. We see that here. We're faced with the same question today. When we look at all the things in our lives that call for our time and our devotion, we hear the Lord's question. Do you love me more than these? As other people including our family and friends, clamor for our time and our attention, we hear our Lord's question over and over again, do you love me more than these? As we seek to be better and more faithful servants of God, may we be mindful that our first love is with him and we're to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Understand that the disciples had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Jesus was still here. They had not yet received the Holy Spirit, so they had not yet been infused with power. They were very familiar with their own impotence. Oh, yeah. And it's easy for them here at the end of the book of John to just kind of drift back into life and and do the things that they were comfortable with. Like going back and going fishing again. Going and spending some time out on the Sea of Galilee. Going back to that which is familiar. And they had particularly been engaging in that recently when this passage happens. But here's what's going on. Jesus is calling Peter back. Oh, he had a huge failure, but he's calling him back and and with him, the rest of them, back to significant ministry. But if you don't have the love of Christ front and center, then your ministry is going to wear you out because it is our love for him is the motive for why we do what we do. They will be, these disciples will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens? They turn the world upside down. But in order for that to happen, there's a certain commitment for them 
and for us to be that useful. (laughs) We have to hear the call to follow Christ. We have to hear that. This call has three components. It's the call to love Jesus Christ. We're called to love him. And it's a call also to sacrifice for him. Every one of these disciples was martyred for the cause of Christ. And it's also a call to follow him, to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. See, that's the case for all of us. And what Jesus says is this, this is the bare minimum. To love Christ, to sacrifice for Christ, and to follow him no matter what. It's also the maximum. To love Christ, to sacrifice for him, and to follow him no matter what. It's the minimum, but it's also the maximum. Because following Jesus Christ may cost you everything. So our Lord asks us, do you love me more than these? Let's pray together. Loving Father, in the time that remains, I recognize that Those who lead us in worship are going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs. But Father, we confess to you that we have not loved you. We have not loved your son, Jesus, more than these. So Father, I pray that in this time that you would show us where we have fallen short. Show us where the gaps are in our love. Father, show us where our motivations have been misguided. Father, I pray for a great conviction to to fall upon the church. Father, that we would recognize that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We've not responded to you. We've not been willing to sacrifice Father, we've not been willing to follow no matter what. But Father, I know that it costs you greatly to purchase our salvation. And I pray, Father, this morning that we would recognize the cost of the forgiveness of our sins. Father, that we would love Jesus more. Father, that that we would put him front and center in in our lives, in our homes, in our work, in our ministry, whatever it is that we are involved with, with our families, with our friends. Father, that we would put Jesus Christ number one. Father, that we would be willing to sacrifice for him, that we would be willing to follow him no matter what. Father, I pray that you would help our hearts to be willing. 
Father, that you would just see us and in our brokenness that you would meet us once again. Father, I pray that the love for you, our love for Jesus would increase. And God, that we would be where you desire us to be so that others may know. So that, Father, you could do a great and mighty work through each one of our lives. That we would be making the spiritual impact that we need to be making on those lives around us for your kingdom and for your glory. Father, we thank you for this time. Guide us as we continue to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.